The notion that life began as the direct result of an intelligent creator has been rejected by many. However, as we have shown on several programs, while scientific progress marches forward, life has been found to be far more complex than early evolutionists such as Jean-Baptiste Lamarck, Alfred Russell Wallace, and Charles Darwin could have imagined. While some are waking up to the notion that life would not be possible without being instigated by a divine source, few choose to ask the pertinent follow-up. If life began as the result of action taken by an all-powerful being, which one? While the largest religions of the world today share the belief that life is the result of a creator, they differ in more ways than they agree. However, one religion holds a unique doctrine which makes it far easier to put to the test. Christianity is a religion unlike any other. The teaching that God sent his only son to earth to live as a human being without fault and then be put to death by his father's creation only to rise from the dead three days and nights later is the foundation and defining doctrine of Christianity. Essentially, Christianity is dependent on a second figure whose existence and claims we can investigate. There are many who doubt such a man ever lived, let alone that he is who he claims to be. If they are correct, then Christianity is not only wrong, but entirely baseless. Was Jesus real? Such a question demands an answer. I'm excited about today's program because we'll be exploring some of the most important questions you could ask. Was Jesus real? Is he real? And what do the answers to those questions mean for you and me? Stay tuned. Welcome to Tomorrow's World. No book has had a more significant impact on the Western world, and we could certainly argue than the world as a whole, than this one, the Bible. It is certainly not the only religious text to have ever existed, but it does have some unique properties which set it apart. The Bible stakes its authority not only on a divine creator, but also on an individual of flesh and blood. The Bible is divided into two sections called Testaments, the Old and the New. The New Testament describes the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of the Son of God, as well as the early spread of His message. If Jesus did not exist, then this book is a lie. In 2015, the BBC reported on a survey conducted by the Church of England. The survey queried Britons from a wide variety of religious beliefs and backgrounds. Its findings are telling. But the Church of England survey found that four in ten people did not believe Jesus was a real person. Forty percent of people in England don't even believe the man called Jesus ever existed, let alone that he was the Son of God. What about you? Have you proven to yourself whether or not such a man ever walked the earth? What I find fascinating about a poll such as this is that it shows how the beliefs of the general population can be swayed over time with very little evidence or support. If you were to ask individuals among that 40% to justify their statement, I wonder how many would actually have an answer. It is fashionable in modern culture and society to push to the side, belittle, and even seek to abolish any remnants of religious belief. It may surprise you to learn that there is historical evidence outside of the pages of the Bible to support his existence. 
It may surprise you even further to hear some of the mainstream publications, which I'll quote in just a few moments, that confirm that there is very little cause for us to doubt that Jesus was a very real person. Because there is so much misinformation on this topic, I want to offer you a copy of our free DVD, The Real Jesus. It contains three Tomorrow's World programs examining different aspects of Jesus Christ, dispelling many myths surrounding this important figure. Keep a pen or your phone handy as we'll be offering this free DVD throughout the program. What evidence exists that Jesus was real and not just some mythical figure? If we don't use the Gospel accounts included in Scripture, then there are two early documents we need to look to for supporting evidence. The first comes from the writings of one of Rome's greatest historians, Tacitus. His last work, Annals, includes a biography of Emperor Nero and was written around A.D. 116 to 117. The Biblical Archaeology Society provides this translation of a portion of his text writing on the great fire of Rome. Neither human effort nor the emperor's generosity nor the placating of the gods ended the scandalous belief that the fire had been ordered by Nero. Therefore, to put down the rumor, Nero substituted as culprits and punished in the most unusual ways those hated for their shameful acts. Whom the crowd called Christians, the founder of this name, Christ, Christus in Latin, had been executed in the reign of Tiberius by the procurator Pontius Pilate. Suppressed for a time, the deadly superstition erupted again not only in Judea, the origin of this evil, but also in the city Rome, where all things horrible and shameful from everywhere come together and become popular. Clearly Tacitus was not including Christ in his remarks in an attempt to build favor to Jesus' cause. He was merely making a statement of fact, something that was known at the time. Had this been invented or the result of rumor, there would have been ample sources at the time to voice concern over the remarks of Tacitus. Writing at an even earlier date, around A.D. 93, the Jewish historian Josephus also speaks of Jesus as though his existence is beyond doubt. Jesus is referred to twice by Josephus, and while there is some contention over the potential tampering with one instance, the other is solid. Writing for The Guardian, Dr. Simon Gathercole of the University of Cambridge describes the account of Josephus. As far as we know, the first author outside the church to mention Jesus is the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus. He wrote a history of Judaism around A.D. 93. He has two references to Jesus. One of these is controversial because it is thought to be corrupted by Christian scribes, probably turning Josephus' negative account into a more positive one. But the other is not suspicious, a reference to James, the brother of Jesus, the so-called Christ. Two powerful pieces of evidence, both from well-respected historians no one would confuse as having ulterior motives, as both thought poorly of Christianity. What about today's scholars? Are they convinced that Jesus was real? LiveScience.com and National Geographic are well-known, well-respected sources. And just like Tacitus and Josephus, no one would accuse them of having mixed loyalties. They are not, nor do they claim to be, Christian publications. Yet listen to the strong statement made in a 2011 article published by Live Science. Most theological historians, Christian and non-Christian alike, believe that Jesus really did walk the earth. The statement made in National Geographic is even stronger. I don't know any mainstream scholar who doubts the historicity of Jesus, 
said Eric Myers, an archaeologist and emeritus professor in Judaic studies at Duke University. The details have been debated for centuries, but no one who is serious doubts that he's a historical figure. Jesus was real. But his claims are a little more complex than mere existence. If Jesus is who he claims to be, then he is not just a historical figure. He is still relevant because he is still very much alive. In just a few moments, we'll take the next step and ask, is Jesus real? Before we do that, I want to give you the opportunity to call in and request today's featured offer. This DVD, The Real Jesus, contains three Tomorrow's World telecasts which dispel many common myths about Jesus Christ, highlight the forgotten aspects of His message, and examine the details and proofs of His death, burial, and resurrection. Be sure to call, click, or write to us today to receive your free copy of The Real Jesus. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. Just dial the number on your screen and ask for The Real Jesus. You can also order online at TWCanada.org. There's no catch. We simply believe that watching the three Tomorrow's World telecasts contained on this DVD are essential to understanding the life, resurrection, and ministry of the most important human being to ever live. So call us now or visit us online to get your free copy. If you missed our contact information this time, I will give it again later in the program. Welcome back. We've seen that there is substantial evidence that Jesus was real and that among scholars there is little debate about this fact. But Christianity does not base itself simply on the fact that Jesus once existed. It is founded upon the teaching that He was the Son of God and that He rose from the dead. To understand just how important this claim is to Christianity, let's turn to the pages of the Bible and let it set the stakes. One could imagine if a similar figure would arise today with such impressive miracles being ascribed to him, skeptics would scoff and demand to see a performance. This happened time and again. But among all the miracles described in the Bible, Jesus himself set one apart as a verifiable sign that he was who he claimed to be the Son of God. In the twelfth chapter of Matthew, in verse 39, But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus refused to perform for his skeptics. Yet he revealed to them that there would be a clear sign of who he was, that he would die and be left in the grave for three days and nights before being brought back to life. Writing to the church at Corinth, Paul re-emphasizes the doctrine as Christianity's defining doctrine. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. The Bible makes the stakes very clear. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he is not the Son of God. He is an imposter. Let's examine just a portion of the evidence supporting Christ's resurrection as authentic. In doing so, we're going to need to turn to Scripture, 
but read it in a different light than someone who believes that this text is God-inspired. Rather than simply taking its word as truth when declaring that he is risen, we'll look at some of the smaller details of the story, asking if they would be easy to prove wrong if this was an act of deception on the part of the apostles. The first proof that Christ rose from the dead is that the tomb was empty. The Gospel account written by Matthew records an interesting detail for us concerning how Christ's enemies reacted to the possibility of his resurrection. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. While scholars attribute various dates to the Gospel of Matthew, the important phrase to Matthew's earliest readers is the phrase, This saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Matthew was written to a Jewish audience and would have been available to those living in the city of Jerusalem. If this saying were not well known at the time, the original readers of the Gospel of Matthew would have been able to immediately reject it on false information. While they may have debated the cause of the empty tomb, there is no doubt that the tomb where the body of Christ was laid to rest was found empty three days later. The second proof that Christ rose from the dead is that there were hundreds of eyewitnesses. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians was written within 25 years of Christ's death. Many who had been in Jerusalem at the time and would be able to corroborate the story were still alive when this was written and distributed. Paul writes, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Paul tells his audience that the greater part of 500, so at least 251 eyewitnesses, remained alive who saw Jesus Christ alive and well after he had been crucified and laid in the grave. If this is a lie, it would have been very easy for his audience to reject it. Yet we see no dissenting opinion voiced. Now. Some have tried to reason around these witnesses by pointing out that with 25 years passing, these witnesses could just be remembering wrong. Seeing someone who has just died would be so out of the ordinary, that's the entire point of this being such a tremendous miracle, that people would have kept it at the forefront of their minds for the rest of their lives. It is not the equivalent of trying to remember what you had for breakfast the third Tuesday of July three summers ago. While 25 years have not yet passed since 9-11, we are close enough to draw some parallels. What would we find if we canvassed eyewitnesses today? Over time, some of the details, such as how many people were running out of the building, or how big the dust cloud from the collapse of the towers was, could become vague. While the details might get a little fuzzy, the fundamental truth of the attacks would remain consistent. No one would declare that the towers did not fall, or that they were never even there in the first place. If more than 250 people claimed to have seen someone who had just been crucified walking around only days later, you'll need a better reason than memories are tricky in order to wish them away. Now, let's take a look at a third striking piece of evidence, that the eyewitnesses were willing to die for this belief. People die in support of false ideas all the time. However, it is always for someone else's lie. How many people do you know of that would be willing to die for their own lie? 
something that they know is a lie because they initiated it. What purpose could there possibly be for such action? Tradition tells us that almost all of the apostles died as martyrs for what they believed. They claimed to have spent significant amount of time with the resurrected Christ. How would they all remain so steadfast right up to and including death if they knew their story was a crock? Such an idea simply does not hold to scrutiny. There are many other proofs that we could point to, but these three proofs are clear, and we can be confident that Christ was resurrected. He escaped death. Not only was Jesus real, He is real. We just read from Matthew where Christ declared that the only sign He would give of His Messiahship was that He would be in the grave for three days and three nights. The traditional Easter timeline has a Friday evening burial and a Sunday morning resurrection. Try as hard as you can, you can't fit three days and three nights into such a timeline. One of the telecasts provided on our free DVD, The Real Jesus, is titled The Easter Controversy, and it provides all the information you need to sort out this discrepancy. Call us today to request your free copy, and I'll be back to answer one more vital question concerning Jesus' life, resurrection, and what it means for you. To request your free copy of this inspiring DVD, call the number displayed on the screen and ask for The Real Jesus. You can also order online at TWCanada.org. Have you ever asked why there are so many different churches? Is the Bible really still relevant? Or where is the world headed? We answer these questions and more in Tomorrow's World magazine. Call us right now or visit us online to get your free DVD, The Real Jesus, and Tomorrow's World magazine. Enjoy the rest of the program. As we have seen on today's program, Jesus was a very real person. Not only was he real, but he was resurrected and is still very real today. Do these facts change anything about our day-to-day -day lives? The remaining question which I'd like to cover in today's program is this. What does it mean to believe in Him? There is no shortage of religions today calling themselves Christian. The understanding that Jesus lived, died, and rose is fairly common between them. While just about all recognize that belief in Christ is of utmost importance, there is a vast array of opinions about what that means. Is just believing that He existed and is the Son of God enough? Not according to the epistle written by James. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons believe He exists. They just do not believe or follow what He teaches. Clearly the belief that we should be showing is something more substantial than just acknowledging His existence. James then uses the example of Abraham to paint a picture of what real, sincere belief looks like. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now, scripture makes it very clear that we cannot earn our way to salvation. There is nothing you and I can do to overcome the penalty of our past sins, which is death. Forgiveness comes only as a result of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. However, Abraham's example shows that true belief results in action. 
If we say that we believe in God, that we believe His Son died for our sins, and that He inspired this book to give us the opportunity to understand a better way to live, and then we discard what it says, can we truly say that we believe Him? Let me put it another way. A man has two twin sons who have each passed the necessary tests and received their driver's license. They each ask to borrow one of the family's vehicles for the evening, and the father grants their request. While handing each a set of keys, he says to them, just remember, the curve down the street is too sharp to take at any more than 80 kilometers per hour. While out driving, each son in turn comes to the sharp corner that their father had warned them about. One slows down and makes sure he's going 80 by the time he reaches the curve. The next looks at the curve and says to himself, doesn't look that bad, while keeping his foot on the accelerator. Which son believed his father? Both believed their father existed, but only one trusted his knowledge, wisdom, and judgment. It's one thing for us to say that Christ exists, but to truly believe is to recognize that he knows right from wrong better than we do, and that we must look to his example in order to know how to live our lives. He even warned that there would be those who would loudly profess his name, but in reality fall short of truly believing in him. Matthew chapter 7 states, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus' prediction here is very clear. Stating that we believe him is not enough. He even goes so far as to say that some may perform impressive miracles, but if they don't adhere to the will of God, they will be disappointed. He then gives a substantial clue as to the type of belief he is warning about by claiming they practice lawlessness. What is lawlessness? It is the absence of law. While most would on the surface agree that we ought to follow the example set by Christ, Many believe that he kept the law of God so that we would not have to any longer. John addresses this in his first epistle. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Paul was constantly facing the issue of those who taught that Christ kept the law so that we wouldn't have to. While there are those who have twisted some of his words, he clearly states his position on the issue. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Christ intended for us to follow in his footsteps, adhering to the same commandments he lived by and held dear. If you haven't done so before, I hope you'll take the proofs we've explored today to heart and ask yourself the tough but important questions about the man called the Messiah. Was Jesus real? Did he die and live again? If the answers to these questions are yes, then you need to ask yourself not just if you believe, but if you are acting on that belief. We haven't had time today to get into Jesus' role as an extraordinary teacher. The message he proclaimed truly changed the world 
and its impact will only grow in magnitude in the future. One of the telecasts provided in our free DVD, The Real Jesus, is titled The Forgotten Message. In that program, Gerald Weston explores the defining doctrine of Christ's ministry, the true gospel message that he preached and that he commanded his followers to continue preaching until his return. Few really grasp what this message is, and I hope you'll take the opportunity to order your free copy of The Real Jesus and review it to learn more. At the close of today's program, I encourage you to stay tuned for Tomorrow's World Answers, where we will answer your questions straight from the Bible. From all of us here at Tomorrow's World, thank you for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed the program and that you've found it to be profitable. Tune in next time as Gerald Weston, Stuart Wachowicz and I will continue to bring you wonderful news of Tomorrow's World. To learn more about today's topic, visit TWCanada.org. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895 or by writing us at Tomorrow's World, P.O. Box 409, Mississauga, Ontario, L5M0P6. Welcome to Tomorrow's World Answers, where we answer your questions straight from the Bible. During his time on earth, Jesus made many comments about the law of God and the need for his followers to exemplify an outgoing concern for the welfare of others. Sometimes the notion that Jesus did away with his Father's law is expressed by various groups, and they look to find evidence to support this view in the scriptures. Did Jesus reduce the Ten Commandments to just two? Some will try to turn to a passage in Matthew 22 as evidence that he did. It reads, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let us look more closely at what Jesus was saying and from where those statements originated. First of all, he stated that most importantly, we should love the Lord our God with all our heart. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 reads, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus was quoting the words given through Moses when the law was given to Israel. This is, of course, in relation to the first four of the Ten Commandments, which show us how to properly love and respect our Creator. Now, turn to Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The second command to love your neighbor summarized the last six commandments, which show us how to love our fellow man. These two statements Christ made were vital to the Old Testament instructions as well as to Christians of the New Testament. Hence, Jesus added, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Rather than doing away with the law of God, they enhanced it. He was showing that the Ten Commandments guide us in how we can properly love God and man. Neither Jesus nor the apostles changed God's law. Christ expounded on its meaning and how keeping them brings us into harmony with both God and our fellow man. 
To submit a question for the show, email us at twanswers at tomorrowsworld.org. Be sure to watch us online at twcanada.org or by searching Tomorrow's World Answers on YouTube. You will receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, revealing God's principles for leading an abundant and happy life, while providing insight into current and future events. At our website, you can also watch this and many more Tomorrow's World programs. Call 1-866-784-7895. Write or visit us online today. This program is a production of The Living Church of God.